Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Becoming from 90% Hoops. Today we have a very special guest. This is Coach John Edwards, who will be on the pod today to share his story and drop some knowledge for everybody listening. So first of all, just want to thank Coach Edwards for joining the podcast and taking time out of his day to have a conversation today. Um, So we'll get right into it. Um, First question is, what was your inspiration behind wanting to become a basketball coach? Yeah, that's a good question, man. So I think it was a couple Thank you. of um, different instances in my life. Um, part of it was my high school career in regards to just like I bounced around a lot to a lot of different high schools and had a lot of different um, kind of interesting experiences dealing with different coaches, whether it be AAU, high school, things like that. And um you know, it, I didn't feel like the entire time during my playing career in high school, I was always look, look out for, right? Um, I was a pretty good player in high school, um, was a division one, like level recruit coming out of high school. And you know, I had a lot of different people just trying to pull me in different directions and things like that, which, you know, caused obviously some, you know, difficulty in regards to just the whole recruiting process. And then, finding out that the school I went to wasn't accredited and having to go to junior college and a lot of different things. So part of it was that um, as a start, you know, just that experience and not wanting to have, you know, kids go through that kind of, you know, um, situation in their high school careers. And then also in college, you know, having um, some really good coaching experiences from one, my um, division one coach, um, division one junior college coach, I'm sorry at Tyler Junior College, Mike Marquis, who was really good in regards to just like, you know, the balance between player, um, you know, just getting to know the players, getting to understand the players and who they were, and also, you know, that discipline on the court. And then Coach Mike Jones at Radford my senior year, um, he was really good as well in regards to that same type of thing. Just being, you know, somebody that a player can talk to as a person. And also when we're on the court, just, you know, being able to articulate um, instruct us in regards to what we should be doing. So that was for me, like, you know, the, you know, as far as coaching wise, like that was the biggest inspiration, just being around coaches who really got it. And then also being around coaches who didn't get it at all (laughs) and wanted to be more of the, uh, change or be more of the solution to what a lot of people think is the problem with youth sports. Yeah. So before we go into your, your coaching journey, I want to go back to your playing days. So you mentioned uh, you played at Tyler Junior College, which yep. I believe is the same college that Jimmy Butler went to. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. So did you guys play together there? So he was there actually the year before I was there. Right? Oh, okay. So he left because um, he was there his freshman year and then went to Marquette and played three years there. I came there that year after, right? So the year before, they were really good. And then the year after, we were really good. We had a top 25 junior college team that year too as well. So um you know did people think you know and, you, and some of his teammates obviously i played with right because they had some guys that came back that second year did everybody think that he was necessarily going to be an nba all-star and you know probably a hall of famer in the nba probably not but they knew he was a really good player and he had a motor and um even when i because i went back there and coached too as well for five years right so he would always come back, and it was good to see him come back after. Obviously, he was in the NBA at this point, but you could, you know, the guys were able to see his like level of like work ethic, 
right? The guy was like working out, you know, like three times a day when he was there. Like, you know, he was, you know, coming to the gym, then he played pickup with our team, then he go back and work out. He's like, so kind of got a chance to see like that level in regards to the, you know, level of consistency that you need to have in order to be a great player. But like Tyler Junior College, I mean, that whole region, Region 14, um, Division One Junior College, NJCAA, is probably the best junior college conference in the country. Like a lot of those teams in that league can beat like Division One programs. And I'm not, you know, I'm not just saying that because I was there. Like, I mean, not just my, my, not just Tyler, but like a lot of them, you know, League College, Paris. So, um, with that experience at Tyler Junior College, I tell people this all the time. Being there really will let you know whether or not you're a Division One player or not. Like you won't be, you sh- you should know by the time you get done there whether or not you're a Division One player. Talk a little bit more about how junior college prepared you for Division One. You know, I think a lot of players they don't they go to junior college more because they have to, not because they want to. But talk about how playing at a junior college can be beneficial for you in your career and how it can get you ready and more prepared to take the step to the next level. Yeah, good question, man. So thank you. uh, And obviously, I'm speaking from the perspective of someone who played and coached at that level. Right. So the thing is, right, especially now. Right, the way college basketball recruiting is, right, with you know, coaches are trying to get, you know, the oldest guys. That's why the transfer portal is what it is, right? The preparation in regards to the time management, obviously, because you're in college, you have college classes that you're taking, you have, you know, the whole setup is, you know, literally built to help you transition from, you know, there's two year to a four year, right? That part of it, right? Because it's it's on par. The level of talent, right? You're playing against college players. You're playing against grown men. In high school, right, most college coaches are going to tell you, right, you know, most of high school basketball really is not great quality as far as the quality of basketball, right? So the preparation, the the learning curve that a lot of young players or high school players have from high school senior to freshman in college at the four-year level, it's huge, man, especially if you're not playing at, you know, really competitive um, um, teams in high school on a consistent basis, man. You may be playing, you may be a senior in high school, right? Think about this, 18 years old, 17 years old. You may be on a court with a team full of guys 15 and 16 years old. And then you're going to go from there to playing against 22, 23-year-olds, right? 21-year-olds, right? That's going to be a tough transition. So junior college allows you that, you know, opportunity one, if you haven't got a lot of recruitment or you haven't played a lot of high level competition, they kind of have, get film, get a sample size for coaches to be able to see at the four year level that you can actually compete against guys who are college level, division one, division two, division three, NAIA level players, right? Because that's who you're playing against at the junior college level. You guys, guys who transfer, guys who may have had offers, but weren't um, maybe weren't academically eligible. Maybe some guys who had some like you know lower level offers and looking to get higher level offers. So you're playing against everybody that's there is, is was good players where they were from. So you have so it, it gives you opportunity really to adjust and show coaches that you can actually play at the college level. After you left junior college, you you played at Radford for a couple of seasons. Yep, and. Uh... 
your first year there, I was looking up your guys' record. Uh, you guys really struggled. Yes. Um, to say the least. You had three separate losing streaks, one nine games, one six games, and one seven game losing streak all in one season, which is pretty impressive, I'm not gonna lie. Like that's <laughs> that's a hard thing to do. Um but I also saw in your I think this was in your second year there, you played against Kentucky when they had Anthony Davis and I think that was the team that went on to win the national championship. So if you can just talk about that game and what what was the that experience like playing against Anthony Davis, you know, a guy who at the time was everybody knew he was the number one pick and you know, he's obviously had a, a really great NBA career. So just talk about that experience, what was what it was like playing against him. Yeah, the whole yeah, that that game was interesting. Like both years at Radford, there was complete turnover in roster. Right. Even when I came in there, like I was probably like one of like seven new players that junior year and then I think my senior year we had like five or six freshmen. And like five or six dudes transferred out. So immediately, like I was put in a leadership position, right? Now the game at Kentucky, obviously, you know, they won the national championship. They were the number one team for pretty much the entire season. They had, I think, was it five draft players that got drafted, I think, in that on that team, right? So the environment, like playing at Rupp Arena was interesting because that place is huge, first of all and how loud it was, right? Um, and, you know, having all these, you know, young guys with me, like I said, like we started, I think, three freshmen. I think we started three, two or three freshmen, right? And, you know, it, you know, they're good. Like we lost, at the, I don't even know how much we lost by, but playing against Anthony Davis, right? Hey. And just kind of like getting a, you know, and it wasn't for me, it wasn't anything shell shocking because like when I was in high school, I played against Kevin Durant. I played against Ty Lawson. I played against Michael Beasley. I played against the Morris twins. I played against Tyreek Evans and OJ Mayo. So all those guys I seen in high school. So, you know, that particular moment for me wasn't overwhelming, but you know, for some of our guys, I could kind of see it was, but you know, I enjoyed. And that year I also got hurt. I had to sit up, I had to, uh, in the middle of the season, I broke my wrist and I think, that was probably, you know, that game was probably the second to last game maybe or third game before, I'm not sure, before I, like, had to sit out 10 games in the middle of that season. But um, I just enjoy. I mean, I enjoyed that year, even though we didn't, weren't very successful winning-wise. Um, and part of it was because I had to sit out a po- good portion of that season. But even just that game, like, you know, I still remember it, and it's still a, a – a, a, you know, for me, it was a good experience because you, know, you just you should want to play against the best players. I always tell guys this all the time: you should always want to play against the best players you possibly can get around because that's how you know whether or not what you're doing is working or not, as far as your level of improvement, as far as the dedication to your craft. So, you know, I didn't. For me, it wasn't anything more special about it than any other game. But I will say that, you know, it just was another opportunity to kind of see what where I was at as, as far as a player was concerned, you know, but yeah. 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 That game, you guys lost 88 to 40, yeah. but you, you did lead the team with 10 points and eight rebounds. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, it was a cool game. You know what I mean? But, you know, we had a lot of young dudes. A lot of young dudes, man. Like, it was, um, yeah. I think we had six or seven freshmen that year. And they ended up, that that group, and, like, that group was, that wasn't the group that got to the tournament. I think it was the year after or two years after they actually got to the tournament. But that obviously was, that year was kind of like the beginning of kind of Radford kind of, Reemerging as far as a, a serious player in the Big South, um, yeah. Coach Jones, he's at UNCG right now. UNC Greensboro, he's the head coach there now. But um, he did a really good job there. And you know that year, even though we weren't great, we really worked hard every day. Even though we didn't win a bunch of games, like every practice, like we were in there grinding. And you know we, you know, and we, and you know, for me, I think it's you know as a coach. And that experience as a coach, too, as well, taught me a lot. Because, like, I still remember that and reflect on that because, you know, we were in a complete, like, rebuilding phase. Like, there was some, you know, eligibility issues from the previous coaching staff. There were some different types of issues that were going on from the previous coaching staff. And Coach Jones came in and kind of really had to start over. Right. Even though like that, even though Radford three years before had got to the NCAA tournament, he had to start basically over. And that first year, just and especially not just him, but the other assistant coaches, Kyle Getter, who I believe is at um, yeah, Liberty now, he's at Liberty, Coach Byers, who's at um, VCU and, and, and I believe uh, Coach Hawkins, who's at Quinnipiac now. But that group of coaches, man, like they really poured a lot of energy and effort into us, especially, you know, those young guys. And even me as a senior that year, I mean, they didn't technically have to, right, you know, take the time out to really work with me. And I mean, they could have just said, hey, man, we're just going to let's just focus on these freshmen and get them ready. But, you know, I got a lot better in that, you know, year playing with them than, you know, at any other time in my college career. So that was always something for me is that like, you know, when you take over any type of program or coaching job, man, regardless of who's there, even if you didn't recruit those kids, treat those kids like they're yours. They get these new jobs and it's like the guys that were there, you know, it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, y'all just here until I get my dues. But it's like, no, I mean, if they're under you, if they're under you, if they're under your supervision, under your guidance, man, they are your kids. You got to treat them like that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think some coaches, they can get uh, focused too much on the future. Like yeah. these guys, we want to develop these guys for the next two years or three years instead of focusing on you know who you have right now. Um, so just talk about some of the lessons that you learned from your college coaches. You, know, you mentioned uh, Coach Jones and how has he influenced you as a coach? Yeah, like Coach Jones, Coach Marquis at uh, Tyler Junior College um, are like the main two ones. Um, I think the thing is just it, taking the time to like really understand the nuances, like the same the same thing, right? Yeah, you got a lot of times where, you know, coaches, you know, they want guys who already kind of know what they're doing. Right. Who, you know, just put, plug them into a spot. And, you know, at the college level, I get it because, you know, those dudes are feeding their family by the performance of the players on the court. Right. But, you know, 
just the approach to teaching, right? Because if you're a coach, you're a teacher too as well, man. Like, yeah, you ain't got a classroom, but that court is the classroom. So if you want your players, to, you want to get the most out of your players, you know, those, those, that attention to detail is very important as a coach. And I think a lot of coaches, unfortunately, don't take time to focus on the attention to details when it comes to, you know, even just like how you catch the ball, how you open up, like how you set a screen. You know, why do you, you know, face the basket this way versus the other way? Why do you set the screen on this angle versus that? You know, so that was more so for me being, and especially the time when I was injured my senior year, is what I had to do is, right, like, you know, it was my wrist, so I was still doing conditioning and some stuff, but I sat and watched a lot. And I learned a lot about, like, why we do things the way we do as players or why the coaches wanted to do things a certain way. So the attention to detail, focusing on that, especially, you know, when you're teaching, you know, young men and, and young women, regardless of, you know, what level you coach at, um, that was the biggest thing for me, man. It's like, you know, if you can break it down and make it as simple for someone who is, who's never played basketball before and get it to the point where, to where they can understand it. You know, you, you've kind of done your job as a coach, man, as far as putting that player in the best position to be successful. So, yeah. Yeah. So after your, your playing career, when did your focus turn from trying to make it maybe as a professional player or, you know, when did your focus go to being a coach after you were done playing? Yeah, man. Like, so for me, man, like I wanted to always have a try to play overseas or play professionally, but I think my senior year, I kind of like knew, like, I want to, I want to coach, man. Like, I think that'd be cool. And I think playing overseas and I had, you know, explored it a little bit, but you know, I had bounced around and yeah, I'm from New York, Long Island, went to high school in New Jersey went to, you know, school in Texas, went to school in Virginia, you know, did a lot of just, just a lot of bouncing around. I went to three different colleges because before Tyler, I went to Stony Brook for a semester before I transferred. Right. Um, went to three different high schools, three different colleges. I was like, man, I'm not trying to run around no more, man. I'm not trying to go to this country, to this country. To, uh, like, no, let me, let me kind of figure out, man, like, you know, I want to still be involved with the game. So let me try to get into coaching. And, you know, fortunately I had like, you know, had good relationships with the coaches that um, I played for. So they were, you know, looking to help me out in regards to doing that and end up coaching at Tyler. Right. So, cause I knew that's a, even if I play pro, I knew that's what I was going to want to do anyway after I got done. So I was like, you know, I'm 23 years old. Let me go ahead and start this now. Versus starting it, uh, you know, after, you know, running around, you know, different countries and stuff like that, because, you know, and a lot of people, a lot of people have this, uh, and you pretty sure you run into this a lot. A lot of guys think, all right, if you play overseas, like you're going to be making a bunch of money out the gate. That's not, <laughs> that's not the truth, man. You got to grind. So I'm thinking, all right, well, let me go ahead and, you know, get into this coaching thing now. Um, so talk about your first years coaching when you were at Tyler Junior College. Um, you know, what was the biggest surprise for you when you first started coaching? And was there any moments where you were like, man, I really don't know as much as I thought I did? I'll actually say this, man. It may sound crazy. I actually realized I knew more than I thought I did. 
Mm. Like, and part of it was, like I said, that time when I was still playing at Radford where I could not play. And I really sat and watched. Like, I watched the drills and I really paid attention to what the coaches were saying and watching it in real time. That kind of, like, in, in, in my level of understanding of the game really became really open. Um, I was, uh, like, the only thing I would say is that the confidence in regards to, because I'm coaching college at, like, 23 or 24 years old. The guys that I'm coaching are, I mean, they're my age, basically. <laughs> like, we're the same age. Like, all right, guys, 19, 20, 21 that I'm coaching. So it's more so, like, how do you really articulate and communicate with somebody? Because you can't come in there, you know, acting crazy and, like, kicking. You know, you can't come in there like Bob Knight. You're 24 years old. You know, these guys are 20 years old. You're not, I mean, so that's more so the psychology factor is that I, that's what I didn't understand the psychology of coaching. And then I learned it. I started to picking up the psychology of coaching. How do you, how at 24 do you approach a 20 year old that you're, that's you're an authority figure. You gotta think about this stuff. You know how crazy that is? <laughs> like I'm responsible for this life. Cause you know, they live on campus. You know, you gotta make sure like if something happens to them that you gotta be there at 24, right? I wasn't no D-op, I was the assistant coach, right? So that's more so it, more so what I didn't know. The basketball stuff, you know, the X and O stuff, the you know, you know, understanding where guys should be and, and what they should be doing. That wasn't the hardest thing. It was more so just the personality clashes. The the you know, you got to watch. You got to make sure these guys are sticking together, or you know, you got to make sure you know what's the call's girlfriend is you know you know, not putting him in a position to where he could get himself in trouble or this kid's parents. Or, that's more so the stuff that I had to learn. The basketball actually was not the issue, was, was not my, you know, handicap, I'd say, or the thing I was lacking in regards. Yeah, so I want to stay on that topic of psychology, uh, being a coach. You know, let's say there's a young coach out there who's really good with X's and O's. You know, he spends a lot of time on Twitter spends a lot of time on YouTube, you know, he knows all the sets, all the actions to get his guys good looks, but he doesn't understand the psychology and the human aspect of coaching. So how would you, let's say you're advising someone who's in that position, how would you help them improve their understanding of how the human mind works, how people work, how teams are built, how team chemistry is created, you know, what are some of the ways that you can improve in those areas? Is it reading books? Is it listening to other leaders? Like, what are some of the ways that you can learn that that's that psychology side of the of coaching and leadership? Yeah, man, like, yeah, you can read books all you want. And I do I read I'm a reader. I don't mind reading. Um, you know, you listen to different, you know, coaches like, Calipari uh, is probably one of my favorite basketball coaches at the college level. And a lot of people criticize him because he's like, you know, he's got all this talent and stuff like that. But he's able to, he still is able to make it work. Like, you know, you take 
three, four, five-star recruits, four-star recruits, and you put them on a team, and these guys are used to playing the entire game where they came from, and then you're trying to, you're able to get them to sacrifice minutes, shots, all that stuff, and get commit. I mean, not everybody could do that, right? People talk about Phil Jackson. Well, you only had Kobe, Shaq. Yeah, Kobe, Shaq, Mike, and Pip. You should win, you know, 11 championships or whatever, right? But not everybody can get people to understand sacrificing themselves for the greater good of the team. So I believe that, yes, you should listen and, and, and hear um, the account of those type of individuals and kind of what they did to kind of bring guys together. But it's also understanding who your players are outside of the basketball court and what motivates them outside of here. Because what motivates Mike or Brian or John or Willie is completely different things, right? This kid may be playing because his dad wants him to play. You know, this kid may be playing because this is the only way he's going to get a college education. This kid may be playing because he just enjoys the sport, but he really don't love it, but he just likes being around a team. So, you know, he ain't really going to push himself. So how do you get him to push yourself? You know, you got to understand what these guys, why they're here, what they are trying to get out of it. Because if you understand that, right, you can, that's, you can talk to them or approach them from that perspective. Or you can find ways or different ways to kind of motivate them to kind of go outside of themselves. Because we as human beings, we like to kind of, we're like, we'll push ourselves, but only push ourselves so much naturally, right? You know, um, you got to get them to the point to where they want to kind of go beyond, you know, what they've been accustomed to, right? And and that's really the, the psychology because, like, you know, if you don't know who your players are as people, it's going to be hard to, you know, because you only, because you only, they're only on the basketball court X amount of hours. The rest of the time, they're, they're, they're people, they're students, they're somebody's son, they're somebody's brother. Um, and, you know, at the college level, you know, I've had kids, I've had guys who, you know, were having, or on the verge of having children, you know, who are going to be fathers, right? You know, you got to kind of talk to them and approach them, but like, you know, that's it's a lot man like <laughs> you're dealing with people so and you're managing people so you really got to know who your players are man you got to know who they are who they are as people you got to know what motivates them what triggers them what 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 uh things they love outside of this game what are their passions outside of this game um i think that's the biggest thing to help you understand what you need to do for them to make them the best players you can make them yeah, no, definitely have to be able to connect with your players on a level that's deeper than just basketball. Um, so you're also a uh, NCSA recruiting coach. Yes, so sir. I got a couple recruiting questions for you. Um, the first one is, what do you think is the biggest misconce- misconception that high school players have about what it takes to be a college player? It's a business, man. It's for if you sign up. I, I tell people this all the time. If you're trying to play college sports, you're you're signing up to be a professional athlete. Because the thing is, the amount of time and the hours that you spend basketball wise, right, within the training, um, conditioning, weight room, film, practice, right. Think about this, man. You know, most college programs that they practice three hours, right? Now you say you got 15 dudes on the roster. The game is 40 minutes long. You're practicing three hours and maybe, and most of the dudes, you know, if there's 15 dudes, uh, six of them 
probably don't touch the floor. But you got to practice three hours every day. Now, the other nine guys, right, probably all of them not playing 40 minutes or even 30 minutes. So you're practicing three hours either to not play and get in the game or have a, even just a chance to get in the game or to play 15, 10 to 15 minutes, right? So the grind of, like, having to get up and practice and work out and train and attend meetings and study, study hall, film, all that stuff to get in the game for 12 to 15 minutes. If you're a freshman, you know, ain't nobody calling plays for you. How are you going to get in the game? You got to defend. You got to rebound. You got to know the sets. You got to do the drills right. You know, the term drill killers, you know, that college coaches use, guys who come and screw up the drill and make everybody run. Like, you can't be that, you know, if you want to stay there. So you're practicing and you're working. You're working is a job, right? Three plus hours a day to get maybe 10 minutes and maybe shoot the ball three or four times, maybe, depending on, you know, the coach and the coach ain't running sets for you either. Nobody's calling plays for you. So like that shift in mentality where in high school, everybody loved you and, you know, they were cheering you on and to where in college, man, you may not get off the bench. And if you do, man, it's only to, you know, kind of foul. Say, say, say you got, say you practice three hours <laughs> for two days straight. And then the coach brings you in at the end, just go foul, foul, you know, the worst free throw shooter. And then you got to be happy about it. You got to clap. You got to cheer your teammates on. So it's a job. Right. Because you're doing something that you naturally would not like to do. Right. For the greater good of the team. And you still got to put in the same amount of work, time, energy and effort that the guy who got 12 shots last night. You know, so that whole conception of change, like you got to shift your mentality from this is, you know, a fun game and I love it. And at the high school level, like it was easy for me, man. I could, you know, we didn't really practice hard. There's nobody, you know, and most high school players unless they go to a really good program in high school there's nobody else on your team that's going to challenge you on a day-to-day in practice to where you got to really compete no no it's not happening now when you go to college you got three dudes at your position that you got to beat out for that it's a business man and that's what a lot of players kind of forget and they think they have a right to play college ball like it's something that you're born with with the right to do so you're not you know you're i mean i don't like to use the word luck but you know, you, you're you'd be fortunate to get an opportunity to put on a jersey, let alone, you know, or even can be considered on the team to to let alone play thirty, you know, twenty five, thirty minutes a game at the college level. And what do you think is the biggest reason why we've seen the transfer portal become such a big part of the game, not just at the college level, but even at high school, kids are going to three, four different high schools. Uh, you know, during their high school time. What do you think is the biggest reason why the transfer portal has expanded so much? You know, I think we've seen guys transfer at the college level for a long time, but now we're seeing the numbers go even higher and we're seeing guys transfer two, three times during their career. Like um, Charlie Moore, who played at Miami yeah. this past year, like he played uh, four, four different schools in, in five years. Um, so why do you think kids are, are so quick to transfer now rather than what it's been like in the past? Everybody want to blame the players. Then people want to blame the coaches. It's, it's on the coaches. It's on the players. The coaches, one, because they have to do a better job evaluating players and not listening to what these scouts tell them. 
in, you know, different scouting services and organizations, which, you know, they have their place. And, you know, I don't like necessarily saying that they're bad, but you still got as a coach got to do your homework and know when, like know who these players are as people because like talent, you could find talented dudes, but are they right for you? Are they right for the way you coach? Are they right for the way that you run your system, run your offense, run your defense? Are they a good blend personality-wise with the way your personality is? Because, you know, if you go to some college practices and you hear some of the abrasive language, some kids can't. So it don't make sense bringing them there, right? So I think college coaches have to do their part in regards to really investigating who these kids are and who these people are around them too. Because usually if a kid is transferring, it's not an idea that just popped into their head on their own. That idea came from somewhere, most likely an adult that's involved with them. And, you know, if you have certain, say a kid is, you know, say a kid is a good kid, but, you know, his parents or his AU coach or high school coach or whoever or handler, because, you know, you got a lot of that stuff now too as well, is someone who's, you know, kind of looking to, you know, who's, who's, you know, is not necessarily someone who's, you know, got, uh, got a good, uh, you know, handle on themselves, right? You know, dudes are going to be saying, hey, you know, you should transfer here, man. You know, you'll play more or you get more shots or this team's better, right? And then the players, right, on this side, like, they got to be prepared. If They got to be prepared, prepared for what's coming. You know, you, I mean, most guys don't get to come in and do what they want the first year, second, or even third year. You don't get to come in and, you know, go dribble ISO and clear it out on the side or just run high, pick and roll screens for you so you can shoot a 30-foot, three-point jump. That don't happen. You got to guard. You got to defend. And it's a job. So if players had a better understanding of like, you know, this is what you got to do to play. Forget about being all conference. Forget about being, you know, a leading score or all freshman team that first year or whatever. Or now, what, what do you got to do first to get on the court and play? And then right, understanding that like you're on a team. Yeah, and you're signing up to be on a team now. If you want to, you can't want to play for the best program possible and then say you want to come in and get to do whatever you want as well, right? You know, I mean, if you want to be able to do what you want, go play at a lower level to where you'll be the man, right? But then don't complain when, you know, you lose a bunch of games or you're not playing the level of competition you want, right? So you got to, regardless of what it is, everybody's got to sacrifice something for what they want for what they truly want. So the reason I think is just more so just, you know, bad advice, bad player evaluations, not being honest, not being truthful about what the player's not being truthful about what they want. The coach is not being truthful about what they're looking for, what they need from a player. I think that's it's just a combination of a lot of different things. Yeah, I think you made some, some really valid points there. Like guys, they work on like, things like step back jumpers, or like isolation, like you've been talking about, but like, that's not going to get them on the court. Like they already have two or three other guys that are going to have the ball in their hands that are going to be shooting most of the time. Like they need someone who can come in and defend someone who can rebound, someone who can set good screens. So I think, you know, if you're a player that's maybe on the outside of the rotation, like your first priority should be, what can I do to actually get on the court? And mm-hmm. then once you're on the court, you can show what you can do. Then from there, you can start to expand your game. Um, 
So my last recruiting focused question is, you know, what are some areas of the country that produce a lot of great talent that maybe people don't really talk about? Like we know about New York, the DMV, we know about, you know, North Carolina or Texas, like we know about those spots, but what are some areas that have produced a lot of really good players that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot? Um, you have your, you know, some folk in, you know, the Oregon, Seattle, 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 Washington area, Portland, Oregon area. Um, I've watched players literally, you know, I've watched games everywhere in the country almost. I haven't been to the Dakotas. I don't plan on ever going there, but um, you got, yeah, like New York. And I think it comes in waves too, man. I remember when New Jersey was pumping out. That's when I was there. Right. New Jersey was pumping out dudes like crazy, crazy, right? Crazy amount of like high level division one level talent, right? Or just talent in general. Yeah, Atlanta, obviously, right? Um, you know, Philadelphia had a time where, you know, they had uh that's when, you know, I think um who was out there? A lot of dudes was out there, uh Newman Garetti was really good and uh, Roman Catholic and um like Philly had like a ton of dudes, man. Like, you know, Tyree, that's around the time when Tyree Evans was out there. Right. So I think it comes in like waves, right. Uh, Maryland had a time where, you know, Mike Beasley, Kevin Durant, Nolan Smith, um, you know, so, you know, right now where most of, from what I've seen, like where a lot of the talent is coming from, homegrown talent too as well because like New York still has a lot of great players but they don't stay in New York they'll go to you know up the Nepsack area and play in the prep schools out there or they'll go to Jersey or they'll come down south to Atlanta or Florida or North Carolina but where I'm kind of seeing a lot of players really good players come out of is obviously North Carolina I'm in North Carolina right now um South Carolina is kind of coming along. Atlanta is crazy. Dallas is crazy. Um, and then, you know, in the Midwest, Iowa. A lot of good players from Iowa, man. Like, a lot, right? Um, it doesn't get talked a lot about a lot. I would say yes, for sure. Like, Iowa produces a good amount of talent every year. Um, and then, you know, Minnesota. Minnesota, I've seen some, you know, recently, like I, I went to the Adidas Three Stripe. It was out here in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And like, you know, D1 Minnesota has some really, really good players, man. Like, like legit, like understand the game, athletic and shoot, handle, do all that stuff. So, but I think to answer your question, man, like right now, like from if, if we're talking about places that, you wouldn't normally think of or people that first name that comes or first uh uh it doesn't come you know first city or state that doesn't come to mind would be probably iowa where i you know you see a consistent amount of really good players come out of for yeah, all interesting levels. yeah yeah for all levels not just division one but you know all levels of d3 guys yeah all that yeah i don't off the top of my head i'm think i think harrison barnes is from iowa mm -hmm. but uh i'm not sure yeah, not a lot of big names, from but there. just like just good, consistent, just good, talent. consistent type of you know guys you want in your program. You know, that's interesting. Yeah, because the Iowa Hawkeyes they uh, they lose every year in the first round. 
Yeah, but they so all get they killed. Haven't... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, only 60. How many te- Division One teams are there now? 340, 360? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, only yeah, and only 40. How many teams get in the, 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 um, the tournament? 68 now? Yeah, 68. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to make it, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely hard to win in the tournament as well. Yeah. Um, so, moving on to kind of a different topic, you know, I think one thing that you see a lot of coaches say nowadays is that kids don't want to be coached hard. So, my first part of this question is, why do you think kids don't want to be coached hard? And, you know, do you believe in coaching hard? And if so, what is your definition, definition. of uh, coaching hard? <laughs> look, like, what is that? look like for you i believe most people in life don't want to be coached hard man most people don't want hard mm. so like the idea is just yeah, it's like i mean people don't want hard man like people don't want you know i mean you got these iphones and macbooks and all this other stuff like especially in america man life is easy like compared to different places like i talk to people from nigeria talk to people from jamaica haiti different parts of the world who are just dying to get over here just for an opportunity to just to do something with their lives. Forget about basketball, right? So most people don't even want to deal with hard. So to answer your question, no, most kids don't want to be coached hard, but most people don't want to have to be coached hard in life, right? Or don't want any, you know, they want to kind of coast, right? To get what they want. They want everything without having to sacrifice, right? But there are kids, right? And if you raise your kids the right way, you know, if you if you implement that that idea them that you know, if you anything you want in life, man, you got to sacrifice for. Yeah, there's there are kids that most definitely you know want that type of structure and discipline, and you know, it's very important for you as a coach to be able to find those kids, and if you do have those kids, to really pour into them all you can. Uh, my definition of coaching hard, right now. Obviously, I'm younger. Now, I remember when, you know, you had, I ain't going to say particular names of coaches, but certain guys were really um, abrasive, right, in regards to their approach with dealing, especially at the college level, right? And you cannot do that anymore, right? But can you still hold players accountable, can you still reward and punish, reward good behavior and punish bad behavior and make it so that they get a clear understanding that, you know, you can't kind of just go through the motions or just the bare minimum is not satisfactory. You can still do that, I believe. Um, my thing is, like, I don't, at this stage of my life and coaching career and just personal life, I don't cuss anymore, right, when I coach. Like, I don't, you won't hear me curse no more. I'm not going to call, you know, any kid out their name or do anything like that. I'm not, you know, kicking basketballs and throwing, you know, I'm not. But I think, and that's part of, too, as well, when you get to know your players, really, truly get to know your players, um, you can't talk to every kid or coach every kid the same. Some kids you could really get on because, you know, they need that, right? Some kids, you know, if you if you get on them too hard, man, they'll shut down completely, right? And you don't want that to happen either. But at the same time, you do 
you don't want to coddle them. So that's about finding that balance. So for me, like I don't curse, I don't, you know, but you know, I'm very assertive, very loud. Like my voice carries, right? And also, even with that, right? When I yell or, um, I have to choose my spots because I don't want them to. Because if I'm all just yelling, 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 eventually what they're gonna do is gonna shut me off, right? Oh, that's just Coach yelling again. That's just what he does. Versus, you know, there's certain times where they need to know that this is very serious and I'm not playing, right? Yeah, I'm big on running, running dudes. You know, if they ain't doing what they're supposed to do. You know, my, the gym that I coach at, at the high school I coach at, don't have bleachers. But if we did, them fools would be running bleachers if they didn't do what we're supposed to do, right? So I think there's different ways, depending on you as a coach and your personality, that you could, you know, make, and I try to make it hard. I make practices hard. I try to cause adversity in practices so they can handle, so the games become easy. So, you know, we're not, you know, we're not just kind of rolling the balls out and having a good time laughing. Like, I'm trying to make it difficult. I'm trying to make it hard because if, if you can get through this, the game won't be a problem. Life won't be a problem. So, you know, I guess that's the answer to my I guess that's the answer I have is just trying to, you know, put a structure, put structure, put uh, parameters in place to where I have to cause my players to have to go outside of themselves or what they're comfortable doing, you know, to, to get to the goal that we're really trying to get to. So, you know, I believe I believe in coaching them hard. Maybe just not in the way somebody else would do it. Some coaches, you know, they're they all in guys' face. Like, I'm not about to get in a bunch of dudes' face just because they miss a layup. Okay, all right. I can teach you how to make a layup. Now, if you don't get back on D, if you talk, or if you're you know doing certain things that you know are not uh, conducive to good team play, or you're selfish, or you're not you know respecting the game then, you know, we'll, we'll be having a different, you know, kind of conversation, but I'm still not going to be cussing and screaming and shouting at, at, you know, I ain't going to be doing all that. Yeah, definitely. You have to find your own style and what works best for you. Uh, so now we'll, we'll transition into a fun segment that we have on this show. It's called explain that tweet. And what I'm going to do is just read a couple of your tweets and then maybe I have some questions or you can just offer an explanation on it. Um, so this first one, uh, this was from earlier this spring. It says, as a coach, especially at the high school and AAU level, one of the most important lessons you must learn is that you cannot save every kid. It's a true but sad reality we all have to learn to accept. Doesn't mean you don't try, but some will never quite get it till it's too late. So my question is, at what point does it go from I'm doing everything I can to try to save this kid to this kid is a lost cause. He's just never going to get it. So that is not just on the basketball court. That's in life. Because in, because when it comes to when we're coaching at, especially college, high school level, man, we're, we're, we're dealing, we're, you're dealing with all types of different kids and some have different, you know, family structures, different values, different morals, different upbringings. Right. And I say this because, like, I've had players that I've coached that are in jail now, right? I have players that I've coached that are in jail for murder, you know, stuff like grand larceny, you know, like players that I coached, 
Like guys that I spent like time with, like where they rode in my car. Like I rode in the car with a murderer. You know, and you know sometimes, right, that guys that you have, you know, you try the best you can to kind of show them what's right and you kind of, you know, you love them. But, and it's not like they don't get what you're saying, but they just, they aren't up to that point to where they can just kind of receive everything that you're trying to tell them. And it's not, and it's not just basketball stuff, it's life stuff too, you know. And I think every coach at some point, you'll have situations like that where, you know, it's like, yo, he wasn't a bad kid, right? When I was, when he was with me, at least, right? So it's just sometimes like, you know, there's only so much you can do. And you kind of, in, in most, and most of the kids that I've coached that have, you know, had certain things happen in their life or because of their actions, you know beforehand. This stuff is most, in most cases, it's not a surprise or a shock to you when you hear that kind of stuff. So when you know, um, I think it's just a feeling inside, man, that you know, like, you know, you really, like, you've tried everything, right? And, you know, they just ain't, they just not going to get it until something really, really bad happens. So this next one, this one, uh, this one is is right to the point very concise uh, it says adults are ruining youth basketball yeah so just talk about how that came about and uh why you think adults are ruining youth basketball yeah i think i saw a video of like parents fighting a ref jumping a ref and the kids you know obviously jumping in and that's part of the reason i don't coach aau because like the the issue with aau now is that it's too accessible and it's too open for everybody to be a part. You have ki- you have little teams with guys, ten guys on the team, didn't make the high school team, playing in the AAU tournament. Coaches are at a live period event, as long as they pay the money. So, and part of it is adults trying to get paid, right? Because you know that that that. That fee, you know, that entry fee, 300, 500, whatever it costs, right? That's money, you know, in these guys' pocket. You know, 10 courts running at one time. You know, 10 games. You think coaches is watching 10 games? No, they're not, right? So the adults, right, the kids, right, we can blame the kids and say the kids this and the kids that. But where did they learn this behavior from? Where did they learn that it's okay to cuss out an opposing coach during a game? Or swing on an opposing coach or swing on a ref or... Um, or go into the stands and 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 talk crazy to you know a fan or you know and vice versa. You got parents sitting on the sideline cussing out little kids, telling you ain't this and you ain't that and you and a, a, yeah. So yes, adults ruin and are ruining youth sports um, because it's too. Before when you had to play. If you wanted to play on the AU team, like you had to make the team or you had to be one of the best players in your, not just school area to play. Like they weren't just going to, you know, say, hey, man, because most of the uh, the AU programs and stuff like that, like the guys who were running it were actually legit basketball dudes. Now you got dudes who never touched the ball, have whole full AU programs now and have no clue what decorum. You know, guys showing up with flip-flops and tank tops on the sideline, coaching basketball. 
right? So, <laughs> yes, that that's pretty much the premise of what I'm, where that was. So, yeah, that that's that. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. You know, there's so many AAU teams. Like, there's thousands and thousands of AAU teams, and like now, what you see, you'll have like one team, and they'll have like ten teams for like each age group. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's crazy. Like between you know all the traveling and all the expenses that you pay for transportation and uniforms and tournaments and all that. It's, I mean, I, I tell most kids that you're you're much better off not playing and just working on your your game the whole summer rather than joining some team where you know I mean you're you're probably being in a situation where it's not very organized or you're not going to learn. Yeah, things that are going to help you. Maybe right. practice them one day a week, maybe. And when you do, you're just doing plays. It's not like you're working on nothing serious. Exactly, yeah. So if there was one thing about the uh, you know the grassroots model that you would change, what would that be? Make it like Europe. Make it like Europe. Get, get, get a lot of these, you know, Get a lot of these extra stuff out of here, man. Get a lot of these, you know, exposure events. You know, because everybody has one. Not saying they're all bad. I know some real, like Phenom Hoops, like they run good stuff. Big Shots, for the most part, run good stuff. Like Hoop Group runs good stuff. But there's so many of this other crap, man, that's like, and it's kind of getting like that, to be honest. Like, it's becoming more and more exclusive as far as the best players are concerned, right? Everybody can play basketball, right? Everybody has a right to go play. But now, you know, the NIBC, overtime, and you're going to see more stuff like this where, you know, the high-level basketball is going to completely separate itself and get away from all this other nonsense and shenanigans, which needs to happen. You know, they need to do that. Yeah. Now, people, are they still going to be these different tournaments where, yeah, because people, I mean, you know, we live in a capitalistic uh, country, society, so people are going to make money off this stuff. But if they can get it to where more of the European club style or cat basketball academy side where you got, you know, the really good players are playing against the really good players and the really good coaches are coaching against the really good coaches and doing that consistently and more often, I think that's the way to go. Because, like, even if you look at the NBA draft, like, most of, like, what you're seeing now, man, is, like, a lot of Europe, Europe is... is, is hey, yo, cut that out. A lot of Europe is... Hey, you're about to get out of here, man. Stop that. A lot of Europe is going to be in coming up higher in the NBA draft. And then another thing that you're seeing is that, like, a lot of, like, the guys that are getting drafted are kids of former professional and college athletes where they're getting the best training, the best coaching on a consistent basis, right? You're not going to see a lot of more like, you know, you'll see occasional stories of like, you know, kind of a kid getting it out, what they say, the mud or the trenches where, you know, single mom, single parent home came from the, but a lot of now, what you're going to start seeing more of is you're going to see a lot more people with kind of like higher or more astute backgrounds playing at the higher levels because they're going to have access to all the best training and coaching. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think we've already started to see that a little bit. 
Um, well, this has been great. I really you know, enjoyed this and definitely appreciate you taking the time to join our podcast today. Um, so final question, uh, you're currently the head coach at Walnut Grove Christian. And uh, I don't know if you guys recruit, but I just want you to to act like I'm a I'm a 16 year old, right? I'm looking for a place to play, and I'm considering your program, but I'm also considering some other programs as well. So, what are you gonna say to me to to make me want to join your program? Well, I wouldn't say what I do is recruiting because, first of all, like if I don't, I'll put it like this. I don't believe any kid is worth me spending a bunch of time uh, re- like tracking down and stalking down. Like, if you want to be coached hard, right? Right. If you want to be coached, if you want an opportunity to really have a legitimate chance of not just getting to college, but playing once you get there and being prepared once you get there, um, this is the program that you need to play for, right? Because I'm going to make sure that you learn and are taught everything that you need to know in order to not just get on a roster, but play and be able to be in a, a, a key piece to what that coach or that coaching staff is trying to do, that you'll be prepared for practices. You know, you'll be prepared for games. You'll be prepared for what that grind is going to look like, you know, on a day-to-day. So, if, if you know, and you're going to be taught life skills. You're going to be taught discipline. You're going to be taught how to be a man. You're going to be taught how to be accountable to not just yourself, but the people that are around you that you're working with. So if you want to be a leader or a future leader, you know, this is where you need to come to school because, you know, I take that very seriously. I take, I take very seriously making sure that, you know, specifically our young men in this country are like taught what, what they need to know in order to be successful men. Unfortunately in society now, like, you know, we have a lot of, um, people deeming manhood as something that is a negative or, you know, it's, or it's not something that's necessary or needed. I don't know where I'd be without my dad, without seeing that, that my dad do certain things, right. Or having good coaches um, in my life who really taught me structure and discipline. So if this is, if this is, the, if that's the kind of thing that you are looking for, right. If you really want to be successful, not just with this game, but in life, this is, this is a program where you'll learn all that stuff. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much for taking the time today to join the Becoming. And I really appreciate all the things that you shared today with our listeners. So if there's anything else that you want to want to promote or want to give a shout out to or just plug anything, uh, now would be that, that opportunity. Yeah, man. Um, I just, you know, you guys could follow me on Twitter and you know, I do everything. I've been blessed to where all my jobs are in basketball, right? I'm working with NCSA, um, coaching at the high school level. And I also uh, am a regional director for a program called Yes, I Can Basketball uh, in, you know, primarily Charlotte and Fort Mill Rock Hill um, area. And, you know, we run a lot of youth leagues and camps and training to where, you know, even for a player who's just kind of learning how to play the game, who's not sure if they really want to play, it's a good environment for them to kind of get a feel for just 
you know, what it actually takes. And it's a judgment free environment. So like we have a lot of kids come in eight, nine, 10, 12, you know, 13, 14, right. Who are just trying to figure out, you know, you know, they, they maybe watch the game or maybe, you know, they have friends who played, but you know, maybe they're not quite ready or maybe the experience of playing on a club or AU team is a little bit too much for them. So this is, we give kids the opportunity to really learn and get coached by really good quality coaches and see if there's something that they want to do. So that's another thing that I do as well, man. And um, if anybody got questions about, you know, the game recruiting wise, they could hit me up on Twitter and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much once again, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. Appreciate it.